Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jim Romolini. And we've got a really good guest for you today, Terry Agins, longtime fashion reporter, really kind of demystified a lot of things about fashion for us and had some great advice. Yeah, an icon, really, honestly. Like, Let's really. call her an icon, yeah. I really. think she's an icon, I decided. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, I don't want to be a bummer leading up to um, the Icons podcast, but I um, interview. But I, I think I've realized today the new thing about being older is almost anything can give me a hangover now or <laughs> new things can give me a hangover. Like I can have a hangover from too much salt. I can have a hangover from like cheese. Yeah. <laughs> like I get hangovers now. From not just alcohol, which, you know, after last week's, look at me, I'm just a fitness lady. (laughs) On Friday, I went and I saw an amazing art show. And then I went out with my friend Quinn and for some reason decided to drink three dirty martinis and eat tater tots for dinner. And of course, deservedly had a hangover from that. But then the next night to deal with my hangover from that day, I ate like two bowls of corn chips. We went out for Mexican. And I like just ate all the chips and I was like, keep them coming, keep them coming. <laughs> and had a hangover the next day from the chips, <laughs> like, and on and on it goes. And wow, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I know. We become sensitive little creatures as we get older. And my mood too. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit, like my mood, it's just, I really... I really have to be careful in how I treat my body and making sure that I'm hydrated and making sure that I don't have too much caffeine because my mood, like sort of anything can push me into anxiety, too much caffeine, not enough water. I feel like I'm like weirdly sluggish and depressed. Like I feel like it's a balancing act. I feel like I'm standing on like a balancing ball and I'm just having to keep things in balance and motion at all times. Huh. I, I, I got a real visual on well, that. Well, yeah, they, could, they couldn't see me teetering around my chair, <laughs> but I am teetering around my no, chair. No, that's a really good analogy for just being this age, you yeah. know, being this age and having to deal with a world that's coming at you in a different way than it used to. A hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, and then, you know, then there's the vanity shit, which we were like, we were texting back and forth about, about <laughs> how I can't wait for my neck lift. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't wait for your neck lift and I can't wait for my eye job. 
Yeah. I mean, and who knows if I'll ever get it? Who knows if it's just a fantasy that eventually by the time I reach the time where I'm going to get it, I'll be like, eh, whatever. Fine. Find this weird, gross neck. I shouldn't call it gross, but, um, yeah. Practice some self-love. Practice some self-love. Um, I got yelled at this week by my kid. Um, I don't know. I, I commented on something. I'm not even going to get into the details. And my kid was like, you can't say that. And I was so pissed. I was just like, just find a more woke mother. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) I'm doing the best I can. (laughs) I don't blame you though. It's endless. It's endless. It's endless. How are you doing? Uh, uh, Uh. You know what? I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. I've been a little blue the past few days, not for any reason that I can really isolate, which is such a drag. Um, But I did have, over the weekend, the nicest visit with a very old college friend who lives in L.A. and was coming back through town. Okay. And it was just so, like, nourishing. Yeah. To see somebody who I cared about so much. And we we went, you know, we were in touch for a long time after college, then fell out of touch. Mm -hmm. Um, And then got back, back you know, reconnected during COVID, like so Mm -hmm. many people did with people. And we just had like, I mean, it's so corny, but when you can, when you have those people with whom you can immediately pick up the thread, even if your lives have gone in very different directions as mine has from hers, it's really nice. And I was just feeling very like positive about the presence of friends in my life, you know, and the friends I have in my life. So that was nice. That was a nice thing that happened. But then I also wanted to talk to you about this new app that I have. Okay. That my nephews introduced me to called Be Real. Wait, didn't we talk about this? I'm on, I was on Be Real and nobody else was on it. I love Be Real. We did just talk about this on our live on our Zoom. Patreon. On our Patreon Zoom. Wait, tell me, I love Be Real, but I haven't been doing it because I didn't have enough friends. I don't have enough friends either. I just have my nephews and my brothers. Okay. We can Um, be friends. But what what Be Real is, is basically at some point in the day, Be Real Real texts you and says- Prompts you. Prompts you and says, it's your time. It's your turn to take a picture or something like that. It's your time to be real. It's your time to be real. So whatever you're doing at that moment, you just got to take a picture of it. And- the thing it does is also take a picture of you when you're taking a picture of the thing. And there is no way to that I have figured out to make that picture of you look good. So basically you always just look crazy and you're, you know, it's at some crazy unflattering angle, yeah. but it is, it is really appealingly the anti Instagram because it's, it's what everybody's really doing, which, you know, is like staring at the TV, sitting in the back of an Uber, whatever. It's so fun. And I'm so excited that you're on it because I stopped doing it because I had, because I was like, I have two friends. I have my husband and his sister. And like, this is embarrassing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is embarrassing. But I was enjoying it so much. Even with just the two of them, I was enjoying seeing their lives in a less filtered way. And surely there's some ways to play with it, but there's no filters. And it's just, it's the front and back of the camera. So yeah, I mean, you can sort of artfully like put your face like out of frame. If you really try hard, you can do all, you could do just the top of your head. There's millions things you can do, but you're still getting this moment in someone's life where they're walking the dog, they're in the grocery store. I did it a lot when I was traveling, just like, you know, you would see my book screen in front of me and me sitting like depressed in on Amtrak writing my book, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's really, really fun. I think it's a, a, I agree. And I, all listeners should get on and we can all be real together. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we should do. I wonder if we can have a little be real, everything is fine sub club. I would love that. I would love that. Um, one thing I want to talk about before we get into uh, Terry's interview today is she recommended a book that uh, after we finished the interview that I didn't catch the name of, did you? It's called How Not to Look Old. Okay. And it's by a woman named Charlotte Krupp. Okay. So Terry says this is a great book. And, um, you know, some of this advice, take the advice that you that you can from it. It's not going to be relevant for all of us, but I think it's relevant to a lot of this stage of life. And then the other thing I wanted to say before we went was a couple of brands that I've, people are always like, what brands, what brands? 
I've really been enjoying LF Markey a lot lately. I think that they have really good fits. Um, their clothes fit really well for a variety of body types and shapes and also colorful standard. I've been getting some basics from um, really nice quality cotton uh, basics. Cool. So let's get into it. Our guest today is Terry Agins. Terry is an award-winning fashion journalist who covered the industry for the Wall Street Journal for nearly 30 years. She is also the author of the acclaimed books, Hijacking the Runway, How Celebrities Are Stealing the Spotlight from Fashion Designers, and The End of Fashion, How Marketing Changed the Clothing Business Forever. In 2004, Terry also received the CFDA Award for Excellence in Fashion Journalism. Welcome, Terry. Thank you for being here today. Great to be with you guys today. So I know you've been covering fashion professionally since 1989, but I think you actually started even earlier than that. I read you at a column in your high school newspaper called Terry's Tips for Fashion Flair. Is that true? That's correct. Ninth grade, the Norwester. <laughs> and it was uh, my uh, journalism teacher, Judy Rucker, who said, you like clothes, so let's give you a fashion column. And so... Um, I already subscribed to Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. My next door neighbor was also uh, the mother was a big fan of fashion magazines. And so we were exchanging magazines for years and talking about fashion. And so uh, and I like to dress up at school. So did you feel like fashion was like somewhat of your destiny? Did you feel that even from a young age? No, not really. I just like clothes. I mean, I when I did worked on the newspaper staff, one of my jobs was the fashion column, but I did other things too. I think it was a third page editor. And so um, I thought it was a cool job and maybe I'd want to be a reporter. Um, my next door neighbor's grandmother had a rooming house and there was a, a gentleman there who worked for there, who was the, um, who covered sports for the Kansas City Kansan. And he was uh, one of the few black reporters around, someone I had met for the first time. And so he talked about how fun it was covering sports. And so I figured, you know, this might be a good profession for me. So even at that age, I decided I thought I might want to be a reporter. Who were your first fashion inspirations? Like, who did you, who were you watching growing up and thought, wow, that person is great style? Okay, well, my sister and I love to watch all the old Hollywood movies. We really did pay attention to everything on, well, Edith Head, remember, she used to have a, she used to be a guest on Art Linkletter, Edith Head, the costume designer. Mm -hmm. We used to always be so excited to see, um, to see her. Uh, do her fashion. She used to do fashion shows. Anytime there was a fashion show on any kind of TV show, we always watched that. Of course, all the Hollywood movies, uh, Marilyn Monroe, uh, Audrey Hepburn, everybody's favorite. So we were really into uh, fashion. When you started covering fashion in like the late 80s, early 90s, who were you covering? Do you remember your first big assignment? Well, the thing is, at the Wall Street Journal, we did not get assignments. I mean, unlike most newspapers where you get assignments, Wall Street Journal um, is their stories are generated by the reporters. And so we have to come up with the story ideas. And the way you cover a beat is that you read the trade publications, you talk to sources, and obviously we follow the stock, the stock market. So any, um, you know, companies had to report public companies like Liz Claiborne, like VF Corporation um, um, had to report their earnings four times a year. So we would glean information. You know, if, if a particular pub, public company was having, you know, really great sales, then we'd say, okay, then, you know, they must be doing something right. If they were doing something wrong, then we figured that we could use that to extrapolate what was happening across the industry. So that was really one of the main ways that we covered the industry, just kind of following what was going on. Of course, I was reading Women's Wear Daily every day which helped out tremendously to, to get a sense of, you know, executive changes, marketing changes, and all those were good ideas, uh, good fodder for ideas for stories. I wonder if it, because it was the Wall Street Journal and because you were following the business side of things and the money, you were able to get a different kind of access. Like I know you had a an Anna Wintour interview when nobody was getting Anna Wintour classic. interviews. Classic, right? I have to say, I have to say a classic interview in which Terry said, among other things, what's up with the sunglasses? <laughs> and you also asked her why she didn't wear pants, and right? And why she didn't carry a handbag. 
because, you know, handbags, big advertisers, and she never carried a handbag. Yeah, well, the, the funny thing about getting that interview with Anna was is that I think no one, people were so intimidated, no one even asked her. And the other thing was, too, is, is that it was the journal, so she knew that it was going to be a serious interview. It was not going to be uh, pot shots or, you know, just a kind of a hit and run tabloid thing that was going to be something fairly serious. And so she was intrigued. And, um, you know, it was that boss talk column. And I think did we I think we did give her a few questions in advance. But, you know, she was terrific. And, you know, I gleaned so much from that. And that was, um, you know, really exciting having that first interview. She was thrilled to get it, too. Hmm. Um, you wrote a book called um, The End of Fashion. And I've heard you talk about something really interesting, which is that fashion changed forever when dress codes changed. Yeah, well, that was probably the big deal that happened. I mean, it was when we think about seismic moments in the industry, uh, the dress code change was huge because that meant, I mean, the whole system unraveled because clothes were supposed to go in style and out of style. So in other words, you know, and that was shown by, you know, hemlines, ties were wider, ties were narrow, lapels were narrow, lapels were wide. All that was part of the whole style of forcing people, compelling people to buy new clothes so you would look in style. Suddenly, all that went away because once you're casual, you're able to not have to follow a particular dress code, everybody's going to dress casually as much as they can. And that was a big deal. Um, and the fun thing about covering this, when that first started, everybody assumed that this started in Silicon Valley, you know, all the tech guys who were with... Uh, um, you know, they were in garages and, and were working, wearing T-shirts and jeans and everything. People thought that that was the where it started. But it actually started at Alcoa Aluminum. Really? <laughs> so Alcoa Aluminum, during a, a two-week fundraising drive, it was for the United Way, decided that you could wear anything you wanted to during that two-week drive. And so everybody was like, oh, they couldn't believe it. So men didn't have to wear suits to work. So it was something that was really fun that everyone could get away with. That particular year, they had the highest participation. I think it was over 80%. Hmm. And so after that, the company said, you know, we don't just, we don't even ever go, have to go back to wearing suits. So it was when I heard about this in Pittsburgh, I went there to Pittsburgh because I wanted to see, I went, I waited a few months. I wanted to see if this was really going to stick. And I went downtown to Pittsburgh. I went to uh, Mellon Banks headquarters was there. And there are a lot of other corporations downtown Pittsburgh. And I talked to the different uh, department stores there. Also, I think there was a Brooks Brothers there, other stores. And they were saying, ah, you know, this is just a, it's a move. No one's really going to do this. But it really did take off. The, but the funny thing was, is that when you went to the office, all the, the men had suits on their, on their, uh, in their closets to keep have a suit just in case they felt like they needed to dress up. So it took a while and guys didn't know what to wear. I mean, women could just throw on a pair of pants. The men were just take, basically taking off their suit jackets and they had to figure out how to dress differently. And that's when Dockers got started. Dockers became a billion dollar business in like something like five years. And, you know, it was teaching men business casual, how to dress casually and still look polished. And that was that was a big move. And the other thing is, too, is you couldn't tell the difference between expensive jeans and cheap jeans. And this was a huge problem for the fashion industry because <laughs> the fashion industry made its money on people spending a lot of money for clothes. And if you were going to be wearing inexpensive jeans and, and khakis and, and polo shirts, that was going to really put a wrench in, in sales. And this is the reason why in the early 90s, when we started seeing premium jeans, we saw five hundred dollar um, shoes, thousand dollar handbags. That was a way to compel people to spend money on clothes, because right. you know they're not you're not going to force them to get in suits again. But right. you got to figure out a way to to you know uh, to give to elevate the level of some ordinary things like shoes, like handbags, like jeans, to give them a special cachet and a cool factor, and then that way people would spend money on on. Uh, Clothes, so the industry has had to figure out, has had to make all these moves over the years when people change uh, in life changes in lifestyle. 
Where are we now? Go ahead. Yeah, Kim. that's what I was. We were about to ask the same question. Like after after COVID with remote work, are we seeing and sweatpants and you know, like what? Where? What is? What's happening now? What's happening now is really weird, and we we still will see what'll happen. I mean, the one thing that I've seen immediately, and you guys, I'm sure, have noticed this on the street. Everybody is wearing flat shoes or sneakers. Mm-hmm. It is very unusual now to see someone teetering around in stilettos. And that was something that used to be very commonplace. Now, I was always the type of person who wore high heels just, you know, for the event. And then I would switch into flat shoes. But now I'm wearing flat shoes or even sneakers all the time yeah. with dresses. And they even now your eyes gotten adjusted, gotten adjusted to this whole look of wearing sneakers with a dress. And it looks okay. When I was lucky, I got asked this question when I, you know, started my blog and now and everything is fine. It's the same thing. People all want to know why are clothes so expensive? Okay. Well, okay. Let's give you a little fashion economics here. Fashion economics lesson. Okay. Okay. High end clothes are expensive because they use, you know, fine fabrics. They're using uh, really fine tailoring. Those people make a lot of money who turn out those clothes. So there's just part of the just actually just manufacturing. Then they're able to tack on another premium because of this cool factor and the cachet that comes from wearing a certain brand. I mean, that's why Hermes, Chanel, Gucci, a lot of these brands will be able to command a higher uh, premium. I mean, Brunello Cuccinelli, I think, is probably the one that astounds, astounds me because the prices, I mean, for a cashmere sweater, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. I mean, some of these prices are really quite insane, but they're able to command that because they have a cool factor. Same thing with Dolce & Gabbana. Okay, now all the young designers, people wonder, well, why are their clothes so expensive? Okay, well, the reason why is is that they are not really making a lot of money, but they are making their manufacturing in small batches. Because remember, when you look at manufacturing, in 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 an apparel factory, they have minimums. So they say, the factory says, okay, we, you have to make at least a hundred garments. And the small designer says, well, I only have orders for 20. Well, we're going to charge you the same amount, whether you make 20 or whether you make a hundred. Well, obviously, if you are a big manufacturer and you could make thousands, you're going to, your cost for garment is going to be really tiny. But if you're a small guy and you're only going to make 15 or 20, you're still going to have to pay that certain same amount of money. So the, the problem is that a small uh, apparel manufacturing, a, a small designer really has a hard time being able to make a profit and sell things within the same price point that most people are accustomed to. And remember, in department stores and also just even in specialty stores, most of the clothes are not sold at full price. So that means is that when they and so that what they do, they try to they try to build in a markdown percentage. So that way mm-hmm. that that will cushion them. But if you're a small designer, you're in a store, you're in a Saks Fifth Avenue or Macy's and they're in the Saks or Macy's are saying, look, you know, you have to uh, share the risk of selling fashion. And so you are going to we're going to require that a certain percentage of your clothes have to be sold at full price. That's called what they call that the sell through. And if your clothes do not make that sell through, you have to pay what they call markdown money. And this is something that a lot of people don't know about. This is something you don't see in Europe, but you do see this in the United States. And it really makes it very hard. If you're a small designer and you're selling, you're selling at a certain wholesale price and you've got a really small profit margin to begin with, then if your clothes don't sell, enough of them don't sell at full price, you are going to have to, you know, eat, you're going to have to share the cost of those markdowns. And so that's what makes it so hard for a small designer to really uh, be able to compete. And now and then, of course, we look at fast fashion, where they're making thousands of dozens of garments. So their cost per garment is really low, and they're able to sell really at a low price. And um, and the other thing is, too, most of those companies are vertical. When you hear them talking about vertical retailing, this is where you make money. When you look at Ann Taylor and uh, Brooks Brothers, all these companies where they where they it's the, the retailer and the manufacturer and the, they're all the same name. 
That is where you make money. And this is the reason why a lot of designers pulled out of department stores because they wanted to stay vertical, to cut out that middleman, because that would also help them with prices. And it's really changed a lot now with more clothes being sold online. So it's very complicated. But as a reporter, I loved covering business because you need to understand this is how people make money or they don't make money. And you also understand, too, why a lot of the fashion show garments are never turned in to clothes that you actually are able to buy at, at retail. Because, you know, these clothes are just there for their showpieces to bring drama and excitement and mystique to the fashion show. But they don't really have anything to do with the bottom line. Aren't the clothes like the high-end brands really there to sell the lipstick exactly. and the perfume yeah. and the pants? Well, I, I, Cologne Nicholas, who was the head of um, Dior for a while, I remember she said that, uh, you know, you have a fashion show. It's like making a movie to sell popcorn. Right. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, that they do. That A lot of those clothes are really just basically there to sell the accessories and the high profit. Because let's face it, in a, in a handbag, you don't have to worry about sizes. A handbag, one size fits all. You have to worry about it in shoes, obviously, but in, in accessories with um, with uh, fragrance and um, cosmetics, also to the profit margins are a lot different. And I mean, so it's easier. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about sizes. You don't have to worry about shipping. I mean, there's a lot of go, a lot of the logistics that go into that. So this is why most fashion companies make their money not on the fashion show garments, but in a lot of the other cash cow products. For example, Tory Burch, shoes and handbags. The same thing with Michael Kors, shoes and handbags. Armani is different because he actually sells clothes. He's always, he's not, had never had a big accessories business. He's a, he's basically a big clothing store company. But you look at, you know, Chanel too. I mean, Chanel sells clothes too, but they also have a huge accessory business. Uh, Hermes has always been accessories and so forth. Right. And, and cosmetics, right. I mean, Chanel cosmetics, I feel like are huge. They're nail polish, right? I mean, Chanel, right? Your cosmetics, yeah. big business. Now, as sustainability is a big thing that people are talking about now. And I was really interested when we spoke about a month and a half ago that you, your feelings about fashion are not as like, are not as harsh as a lot of people's feelings about fast fashion. Right? Yeah, well, the thing about this is this. What fast fashion has done, it has allowed everybody, to, it's the, the, the total democratization of fashion. It's allowed everybody to play the game. For so long, there were so many uh, women who were making $30,000, $40,000 a year, and they couldn't buy these clothes, or they'd have to wait years, and, some, and they'd have to wait two or three seasons later to try to get some knockoff version of what was shown on the runways. They couldn't wear the hottest stiletto. Well, with the fast fashion, guess what? Everybody can wear the latest looks. Right now, they don't have to go into debt. Um, they don't have to load up their credit cards with debt for, you know, $20, $30. They can buy the latest styles. They want to have a great cute outfit for the weekend. They're able to do it. And so that's what I think is great about fast fashion because it allowed everyone to really spend a lot less on clothes and still look fashionable. But the only thing is, is that I know a lot of these clothes are really, you know, wear once and throw away. And that's, you know, and that's not good for the environment. And the other thing is, too, is we know a lot of these clothes are probably made in factories where we know that a lot of the apparel factories are not union factories. But we also know that there's probably a lot of people who are who are really uh, being exploited and being paid very, very low wages. Let, let me give you a little sense about apparel uh, manufacturing abroad. Okay, even companies who have really serious ethics about they want to make certain that they don't they're not running sweatshop operations. The problem is, is this. Let's say that. You're an apparel manufacturer somewhere in Bangladesh or somewhere, and you get an order to make 10,000 pieces, garments, and you take the order and you don't, maybe you don't have enough people to do it. You don't, you don't have the capacity in your factory. So what you do is then you go to subcontractors and those subcontractors then go to subcontractors. So those people cannot be monitored. They're not going to be 
where you have when you have proctors in your factory actually monitoring to make certain that you all are do are are, are you know using uh, ethical practices in the in the factories. You can't follow that. A apparel factory is like six women in a in a room with some sewing machines. I mean, it can be a huge yeah. you know factory floor, and it can just be two or three women or or people even making things at their own home and bringing them back. So wow. we don't know. It's hard to follow. You know how you know how all that's done, and anyone I would argue if anybody had a chance to go to see a factory that makes sneakers, the gases that those things with all those rubber, the rubber and all that, the gases that those emit, pollution. If you had ever, you'd never wear a pair of sneakers, wow. and so this is something that people don't know about. It's happening over there. People just like look away. So it's, you know, it's complex. And I understand that, yes, we do want to be a lot more responsible, carbon footprint, the whole thing. We want to be more responsible. But a lot of people kind of almost consider this a first world problem. Because the thing is, is that in a lot of these countries, a lot of people are getting a chance to work. Now, yeah, they're working at what we would consider slave wages. And I'm not going to get into all all that, but I'm just saying is is that it's complex, and it's hard to just say, well, you know, if it's not sustainable, then it doesn't work, right? And right. yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's the same thing I feel about fur. I mean, I feel fur and leather. Um, those you know, people who furriers, they most of them used responsible ways to trap these animals. A lot of these animals are going to get killed anyway because it's part of the whole ecosystem. But, um, you know, I don't think that, you know, you see these pictures of these animals being tortured and everything and then people feel very badly about it and I understand all that. But, um, you know, it's anyway, it's complex. Take a quick break for some ads. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. 
<laughs> okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. I saw I saw somebody say once um, that you shouldn't buy something unless you're going to wear it 20 times. And I <laughs> like at least 20 times because that is being a responsible consumer. Like don't fill your closet with disposable clothes. And I, I think that that as we get older, that rule of thumb is a little easier because I don't know about either of you, but I'm not chasing trends like I, I yeah. used to as much, right? I agree. Um, so I, 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 I don't know. There's no question in that. That was just a, a thing I, I, I heard. <laughs> Generational. I agree because as I've gotten older, like I haven't bought any pair of high heel shoes in maybe almost ten years, and the reason why is because I have plenty. The ones that I have are not going to wear out because I only wear them for an hour and take them off. And so there's no point in my buying any. But I know a lot of for young people, they consider it really cool to change clothes all the time. They don't want to wear the same thing again. And and the other thing is Instagram. Because they're getting their pictures taken on Instagram, they don't want to. Oh, I just wore that last week on Instagram. I don't want people to see me in this again at the same at a different event. Yeah. So that's a part of the pressure. The kids, uh, the kids may be buying things and cycling through them quickly, but they also have websites like Depop. They're also like recycling the clothes. Well, and then there's Sheen or whatever Sheen, whatever that is, where they're just buying the, they're just buying those giant cases of clothes and like showing themselves on Instagram just with like all of their shirts that they bought for like $3. So, so who knows what the kids are doing, but let's talk about people our age and older. Um, what, I have a question for you, Terry. What do you think women, what are investment pieces? So many women our age don't know how to dress. They're confused. They just, they've lost their way fashion wise. And I'm just wondering, first off, what are some investment pieces? What should we invest in? Okay. First thing is, is I have never believed in investment pieces. I always okay. thought that was just, uh, you know, part of another, some more of the fashion industry, uh, fashion speak to try to get people to spend more money for clothes. Okay. I think at a certain mm-hmm. age, at this point, okay, I'm over 60. I think that at this point now, I know my style. And I right. think that once women should kind of know what looks good on them. And I think you need to stay in your lane. So, and you can then update. And I think when you get to a certain age, because you're not chasing trends, you just want to look good. Right. And also you're trying to, you know, hide bulges and wrinkles and, and flab and everything. You're trying to hide right. everything. You're trying to look as good as you can look. And I think that that should be what should should uh, inspire you. And I think that women, what they should invest in is tailoring. Tailoring, you can take something mm-hmm. very inexpensive and with some nip, nips and tucks can really make an inexpensive garment look really good and fit. And you can also take something that's slightly out of style and, and make it look more updated. So that's, I think that's where they should spend their money. And I think that, that uh, w- there are certain brands, I think, that do work with uh, mature women. And surprisingly, it's not a lot of the Europeans. And the reason why I say that is that the Europeans have never really, a lot of the European brands have not been very sensitive to the different anatomical differences. Uh, American women work out, um, and even American women who are thinner have bigger arms, bigger thighs, they're they're bigger and and we've also got a lot of plastic surgery going on with women and you know bust lines and now butts too and so right. a lot of the clothes are not a lot of those European brands do not fit us I mean this was oh this has been a problem for years I know at Neiman Marcus for example um when Carmen Mark Valvo the uh, formal wear designer he told me that he used to his brand was really popular because in his gowns, he would put, he would have an adjustment around the bust line so that a, a woman who's like maybe a two, but with, but an eight in the bust line, they could take out certain darts and make the dresses actually fit 
across the bus line. It was mm-hmm. he was a master at this because he was very aware of that. And so these are the, the brands that you need to look at. Now I know I don't think Carmen is doing gowns, yo, but I know he's doing um swimsuits. And right before we got on the conversation, I went online to see what he was doing. And his swimsuits, he has this really cool two-piece swimsuit that has this little scarf detail, and you put, pull the scarf up at the waistline, and it allows you to cover your navel. So, you're, in other words, you'll be able to have a sliver of skin exposed. So you've got a two-piece suit. So it feels—it's not a bikini, but it's right. But it's—it's it's, you know, it's—it's it's exposing some skin. He was really—he was very good at those kind of design tricks. And there are a lot of brands. That Miracle Suit, that's another good swimsuit brand that's good for um, uh, older women. So I think that you need to like look, find the brands, the labels where you get a pretty good fit and also go for stretch. I mean, I think if anything, stretch has been a huge game changer as far as the way clothes fit. And when you're an older woman or just as your body's changed and, you know, even though you're the same size, you notice you have a little bulge over here and the weight shifts around and all that is going to affect how the clothes fit. So I would say for mature women, find the brands that you can wear, that find the brands that work for you. Stay in your lane in terms of sizes, styles. I mean, for example, I love a sheath dress. Now I used to wear dresses super short. I have good legs, but I am not going to be an old fool walking around here in those really short dresses. So now I do you know, a nice kind of mid cap or even just covering the knee, but I always go narrow at the knee. Um, the Dolce and Gabbana designers call that the Sicilian cut where the dress kind of comes in at the bottom of peg and it's very attractive mm-hmm. and helps you with, uh, helps give you that hourglass look. So those tailoring tricks, I think are, this is where I think where mature women need to spend a lot of, of their money and they also need to find a pump that they can walk in because we're still going to wear some type of heel or a wedge shoe or something, but a shoe that, that you, that you can walk in. My favorite go-to is the Ferragamo, uh, that bow pump called Vara that has been around since the 1970s. And that shoe is terrific. And it looks, it looks neat on your foot. It's a black patent. It's got a round toe and it's, it, it looks good with your legs and, so these are the things that, 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 uh, mature women can do and make use of your, your camera on your phone. I take pictures of myself in the dressing room so much in front of mirrors to see how something photographed. Because let's face it, we are, I'm on Instagram like everybody else. And Thank you, and also too, it forces you to look at yourself because I know in the past, this is before we had the, the, the camera cell phones. I had bought some dresses with like a really big print and I thought I was looking cute. And then I saw myself in a picture and I'm like, oh man, you know, what was I thinking to wear this? So that's a good, you know, good gut check to like check and see how you look in a certain garment. And now with um, being able to buy things online, we're all shopping online because let's face it, stores don't have keep inventory. So if you want to find your size, you're going to end up buying online and you may be if you're not sure on the sizes i sometimes i buy two or three of the same and as long as they have good return policies and hopefully round trip free shipping i send back the garment that doesn't fit that way you're able to try it on etc the other good investment piece good all um good uh shapewear and bras as you get older you need a better bra all these things you need to figure out how to, and a lot of this can be, sometimes these can be altered. Sometimes you need a sleeve. So these are the types of things that I think that, that mature women should invest in. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, because I think about it a lot lately, is that, um, you know, fashion seems like it's gotten a lot more size inclusive. I was looking on the Mango site yesterday and they used to only ever go up to size eight and they had a dress going up to 20. It felt, felt like, you know, progress is being made, but there still needs to be so much more. And I'm curious why you think designers in this country aren't designing for the average size woman, because the average size woman in this country is a 14 or 16. Yeah, 14. Yeah, it's actually now more of a 16 than a 14. And which is, you know, really surprising because you'd never see that. You don't even see a 10 on the runway. 
let alone the 14th. Right. People, this is a big deal. Like, oh, look, you know, and, and that's just ordinary. Well, the problem is this, and this has always been the huge disconnect in fashion that's bothered me for years. You see so many designers designing all these short dresses, you know, with body conscious and boobs hanging out and everything. And on these models who are really young, they're not the customers. They can't afford those clothes. Those models who, if they were, you know, women in their 20s who look the best in those clothes, they can't afford them. So I don't even know why they even design them. If they would actually use fitting models who would would more reflect their customers, they would be forced to then design differently. But, you know, everybody has a sense that fashion is supposed to be really young and cool and, and, and you know, that whole supermodel thing that has is just, you know, in the system. And it's, it's really hard to, uh, to change that. Now, we see Christian Siriano, uh, who's a Project Runway uh, winner. He started out immediately embracing a lot of the larger sizes. And I think he's been really smart with it because he's ma- managed to make women look chic and everything else, but he's still going in the larger sizes. And you see a little bit of, even, even Ralph Lauren, who used to be known for having really small clothes, they now have moved into a lot of the larger sizes too, because that's where the customers are. But the designers, they just have not, I mean, I did a story about, this was around, um, what, 20 years or so ago, I did a story in a company called Marina Rinaldi. Marina Rinaldi is part of Max Mara, and it was designed as a high-end, luxurious brand for women, you know, size 14 to like 22. And this is Italy. And the Italians do a beautiful job. I mean, everything was not loose. I mean, I went to their um, um, to their headquarters and actually interviewed the fit model who was um, a young woman, maybe 20 years old. And she was a size 18 or so. And they were, they were fitting blazers on her that were not boxy blazers, but that actually had contour. And it was really... Um, impressive to see what they were doing and they really treated marina rinaldi even had came out with a magazine called mr and even in their stores they made the dressing rooms oversized they even had the tables where they showed the garments they would have kind of bulbous legs on the table i mean everything about the store was to make when the woman walked in that store she would feel completely comfortable because everything was in proportion. She didn't feel like she was in some dainty um, dollhouse. And I, you know, a really smart, smart branding. And I think they still have a really good business with this, but a lot of companies just don't want to go there because a designer does not want a lot of designers don't want to be known for dressing fat people. And that's, yeah. So that's the problem. I remember when, when I had some business with um, the home shopping network that um or when lucky did that um every designer would like to do or back then would like to do a collaboration with the home shopping network or qvc but if you do a collaboration with one of those networks you have to design clothes in sizes up to three or four x right and they won't do it they know their clothes won't hold up in those sizes oh. yeah and, and also it, it and you can't just scale up because when a lot of designers when you make they, they have they fit on a fitting model and then they just scale up two inches here three inches here for different sizes but once you get to that that next group of sizes everything has to be completely refitted on a model and that is um that's a problem yeah and and qvc and hsn are very very exigent about making certain that those clothes fit everyone because they do have a really liberal return policy. And that's why a lot of people shop in those stores with the on home, on online, the TV networks, because they see that it's a, um, that they can shop and kind of shop with ease and not have to go into worry about going into a dressing room and seeing everybody, they can do it in the comfort of their own homes. And so, uh, you know, that's really changed, uh, changed fashion a lot. So the, the TV networks, the home shopping networks, they were ahead of this. And now with, we're all shopping online. It's the same convenience that we all want. And I think probably more apparel makers are going to be more sensitive 
to the larger sizes because they've seen who's cleaned up on this is the fast fashion people. Mm-hmm. And if exhibit A, I talk about this company all the time because I'm obsessed with it, is Fashion Nova. Fashion Nova, I actually started shopping there because I, you know, I'm like a size six or eight, but I've always had problems buying jeans because I had a small waist and a butt. And it was always impossible. I, I could never wear the low-rise jeans. And everybody said, go to Fashion Nova because all their jeans are high waist. They put stretch in them. And what they've done is basically elevated the waist, put the stretch in, and allowed them to be able to do a lot of large sizes. The jeans fit me perfectly, and I started buying them. And so then I started going on their website all the time, and I was looking at the way that they market because they have – you know, they are actually marketing to a lot of the large size women and the models on there. I mean, you see these women, they are, you know, they are not just optic. I mean, these women are, you know, size one X, two X, and they've got, and they call it fashion Nova curve. They don't call it large size. I love mm-hmm. the way that they do this. It's a real inclusive way. And these women have bulges and stuff and they're twisting around looking cute in these clothes, just like everybody else. And they also encourage them to uh, uh, post on Instagram because, you know, they do no advertising. So actually their clients are the ones who advertise because they hashtag everything Fashion Nova or Fashion Nova Babe. And then they get a chance to, to uh, appear in Fashion Nova ads. And when you go on Instagram, you'll see a lot of these women who spend a lot of time going outside and with their friends and their cell phone cameras and their makeup and everything, getting their these pictures taken. and they have really figured this out because they figured out that all those forgotten women for all those years now have a place to go. And they said, we're going to welcome this woman in and we're not going to make her pay a lot of money for the clothes either. So it's, it's where, very clever. Where else do you shop, Terry? I shop. Let me tell you, it's so funny. I have, um, um, even way before the pandemic, I've been semi-retired from the paper for many years. And so I, first thing is I started shopping in my closet also and found out that I had a lot of things that I hadn't worn and that they could be repurposed. I really haven't, fortunately, have not changed sizes. So I'm more or less the same size. I can wear a lot of the same things. But I do, I shop, I shop a lot at Uniqlo, which I think has some really great deals. I mean, my husband buys everything at Uniqlo because, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because he's, um, He's he's kind of skinny and he's always had a hard time trying to find the really skinny jeans and he's been buying those at Uniqlo and the shirts and everything else. So we do that. I and as I said, I bought. I mean, uh, this dress. They, the viewers can't see me, but this little dress that I have on now is a, is a dress from uh, Fashion Nova that I think was so like cute. Fifteen dollars. I mean, I wore yep. uh, this cute uh, strapless dress from Fashion Nova to. The Met Ball after party that Gucci gave in 2019. And I got so many compliments from Michael Kors, all these people. Oh, he looks so fabulous. This little $15 dress that I had on from Fashion Nova. Because, but, and I know how to shop those stores because a lot of that stuff is really young and I can't wear it, but right. I know how to, to actually shop those stores and, and get some things that even though the, the, the fabric is cheap, but I know to get the fabric that's got two layers. I go with the prints instead of the solids. I mean, there are ways that there are little tricks that you can do to figure that out. But um, in terms of, I haven't bought a handbag in 15 years. Have no intention of buying a handbag because the ones I have have not worn out. Also, I don't like the new handbags now because I can't stand all those logos. I can't stand the logos and they're all teeny. Yeah, they're too small because you got to get a cell phone in here. I wear reading glasses. I wear glasses for distance and I usually wear sunglasses. So I've got three pairs of glasses. You just don't have space for that in, in the bags. But the logos are just off. I'm not wearing logos. I don't wear sunglasses with logos. I buy cheap sunglasses and have my prescription put in them. And then that way they have no uh, logos on the, on the temples. Can't stand it. Once you kind of get kind of realize that when you wear logo clothes, you're basically paying to advertise a brand, it gets really unappealing. Well, not only that, it's not cheap. I mean, I think of, um, I don't know if you have seen this show called uh, Selling Sunset. Um, it's about these real estate um, uh, realtors in um, in Los Angeles. And all of them, are, you know, were big time fashionistas and they're all billboards for these brands. But I remember seeing one of those um 
one of the, the uh, women with this hat that had the word Balenciaga across the top. That is not <laughs> cheap. There is nothing cheap about just having a word printed across uh, a, a garment to say that that's designer. And yeah, you paid a lot for it, but there's nothing cheap about a baseball cap with the word Balenciaga. And we all who know Cristobal Balenciaga, the designer, who was the couturier of couturiers. I mean, he was, he was, you know, a master in, in creation and fit and he would be rolling in his grave, uh, to see mm-hmm. that his, that his label is now attached to a lot of these, uh, a lot of this really cheesy product. It just has the name slap on, on the cover. So I won't buy handbags because I can't stand the logo. And I think that's the best advice that I've gotten. And I do, you know, I have the same look all the time. People know I wear the same. I have, I stay in that same neighborhood because I know what looks good on me. And I don't try, I don't veer out into other areas. The one thing I have added is color. I think as an older, I used to wear a lot of black and neutrals. And now I am wearing a lot more color because I think that it is, um, it's just livelier and I think you look younger. I mean, I love red. It's always been a favorite color of mine. I'm red, purple, green, yellow. I mean, I'm really into the colors now. What, Terry, what do you think is, we've talked a little bit about this, but I want to, I want to really drill down because it's a, it's a question we get asked a lot. What are the most common mistakes women are making when they're getting dressed as they get older? Um, I think that there are just the first thing is this, I think everybody could benefit from a three-way mirror. And if you don't have one, get a hand mirror and, you know, and turn in the long mirror. And so you can see yourself from every direction, because I think a lot of people just look at themselves straight on. And, you know, that's that. I think the first thing is people wearing too much makeup and that's all ages. I mean, I know this is wearing a makeup we're in a makeup cycle and a lot, there's a lot of fun makeup and you can go to Ulta and to Sephora and to all these places. And plus look, you see what's going on on YouTube. I've gotten so many tips from those girls on YouTube on how to wear false eyelashes and how to change your eyebrows and all the contouring and, you know, the, the Kardashians have had a lot to do with inspiring a lot of makeup, but there's way too much makeup. I think it makes people look old. It makes them look hard. It makes them look cheap. So I think that probably is my big indictment. Um, um, the other thing is, is that I would say um, just and and the logos uh, and and but that's a that's a personal choice, obviously. Yeah. Some people like wearing the logos. I just don't think they make someone look chic. I mean, w- when you look at look at all the icons who you see that are really chic. I mean, even Jennifer Lopez, you you don't see her in the logos. You don't see her in them. And then, you know, obviously back in, you know, we think of Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly and the, um, the, um, Kate Middleton. I mean, you don't see her in love. Yeah. So that would be another thing. I think that also too, um, the biggest mistake other people, people make is also foundations. You can, I mean, the bad bras. Oh my God. Let me tell you. Okay. Fun factor. This is just a little insider tip. Strapless bras are something that women need to learn how to wear. And there is, there, the Wacol has this wonderful strapless bra that I love. It's called the Red Carpet Strapless Bra. What a great name. This bra does not scoot around. This is true. Somebody told me about this. This is, and I'm not getting any, getting any, uh, pay. I haven't gotten any free samples from them, but I'm just telling you guys as a consumer, that red carpet strapless bra really works. It's got silicone strips. And it's just the way it does not scoot around. You put it on, it stays. And, and you get, you don't get the side spillage. So, and, and I also love, uh, shapewear and not the ones that are like, that are really, um, cause some of them, especially in the summer are way too hot. Yeah. There's a brand that I wear that's called TC and they have the leg. Cause they, I like the ones that have the, 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 they almost look like bike shorts and they have, the legs are all in this kind of a sheer stretch. So they're not so hot and they come all, and they come all the way up to your bra. So you don't get that muffin top or that little. So you pull that up to the top of your bra. So it's almost like a, a, a onesie and you get a nice, yes, you know, I think shapewear has a lot to do yeah. with uh, how your clothes should fit. And then um, I just think also too, that every once in a while I see people chasing trends. I mean, like, for example, remember when everybody, 
And they started stopped doing it so much with the all the ripped jeans. Those things, <laughs> it was like people were walking around with these jeans that are completely shredded. And that distressed look was was cute, you know, in moderation. But I, I've seen that kind of gone overboard. Yeah, so those would be some kind of generic indictments that I would, would uh, uh, you know, fashion don'ts. So keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it clean. Keep it well tailored. It doesn't have to be expensive. It just needs to fit you really well. Yeah, and and flattering. And the other thing is too is is that, uh, and I think we all learned this during COVID, uh, tabletop dressing. When you started to see just you know, so you're looking now at shoulder line, at neckline, and and you know that how you're going to look because you know, <laughs> a lot of us are working at home from home all the time, and so you want to make sure that you look good. Uh, from the torso up and, and we're looking at ourselves more. And I think that's another reason why, you know, you should really pay attention to the makeup. Obviously you need good lighting, ring light, everybody, those really work out, work well to, uh, give you a flattering look. And, um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Another thing. Too much Botox. Botox. Oh my God. These women, it's like, okay, I, I I'm just not going there. I'm, I'm not going there because, you know, I have to take other medications for other stuff. It's like, I, I don't need anything else. And, you know, but anyway, and I know it, it does. I've seen so many women look so good with those fillers and the Botox in it, but a lot of them have just gone bananas. And it just, it looks ridiculous. Here's a couple other brands that I think that a lot of women might want to check out. Uh, this brand called Tadashi. Um, I think his he'd get a good fit for mature women. Uh, Lafayette 148 has always been very good on fit. And the same thing with Eileen Fisher, if you like that look. Jay McLaughlin is another one that you get a good fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicole Miller. So there are a lot of brands. And, and then just a lot of no-name brands, too, that you run into that where you can get a really good fit. Because you're not going to be in stores, so you're going to be buying things online. Right. Right. Wait, if, but before we do go, one last question, because if we are buying things online and we're not seeing each other as much and we're not getting street style inspiration or we're in a part of the country where we don't get that, where do you go or where would you recommend women go for style inspiration? If, if you get a chance to travel, still get to Paris and Italy and, and sit at a cafe. Uh, I love to look to people watch. And you really, I've gotten so many great ideas just looking at women, you know, in the, on the streets, uh, not so much on TV, but let me tell you, did you guys watch Emily in Paris? Sylvie, yes. Sylvie, Emily in Paris is her, um, her boss, the French woman. Oh my goodness. Now, granted, she's very thin, but she still is mature and she didn't wear a lot of makeup and she still, she just looked really cool all the time. So. You know, so you get those and, and, you know, I still get inspiration from watching old movies and uh, yeah. also on mm-hmm. Instagram. There are people, Jenny Walton is somebody who I follow all the time. I think she has great style. She's very young, but but I, she has great style. Not so much from fashion magazines. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. not anymore. You're not getting not it. And, and I just hate the what's happened to InStyle because InStyle used to have a lot of You'd see a lot of celebrities, different type. They're, they're now doing, it's not as visual as it used to be. And so you're not getting a lot of that uh, intelligence. But you can find a lot of it on, online. So, I mean, online with, like I said, uh, on social media, also yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Thanks, Terry, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, wait, before we go, where can people find you? Okay, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Terry Agans. And I, I do a little bit of tweeting under Terry Higgins, hardly at all. If you are already a friend of mine on Facebook, you'll see me. And, uh, but you, you know, usually Instagram and, um, and, you know, I'm still writing stories here and there. And so, you know, you'll see me around. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much, Terry. Okay. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms. We read five-star reviews on air when we get them. If you want to support the production of the show and keep the lights on, please join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram at EIF podcast. We have a super robust and wonderful Facebook group. It's private, so we can say any old bullshit we want. Um, That is Everything is Fine, the podcast on Facebook. We are also on Twitter, though who cares? You can email us at (laughs) everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail.com. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. You can find me at sometimestinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini my name and the show (laughs) is mixed and edited by the great natalie rivera thank you natalie hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 